What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast. This is Dave, and I've got to say, I'm very excited for this episode because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite parts of uh, the football calendar, which is actually fantasy football. Um, Mike and I have been playing fantasy football for quite a while now. Um, and yeah, we're just excited to get into, into some do's and don'ts, uh, some players to watch out for and all of that a little bit later on. Um, but for now, I mean, how are you feeling about this, Mike? Uh, football season's just right around the corner. We're starting, uh, preseason games right about now. How are you feeling? I'm excited. Summer's great. And I know it's August now, but Hey, that's technically summer, right? But we have the NBA Finals, the NBA Draft, and now we get to start drafting our fantasy teams. Hopefully one of us will win. I feel like usually one of us does win our league. I'm looking to <clears throat> defend my championship, uh, Red Solo Cup. going to bring it back under a new name. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, Mike did win the league last year. But uh, I do have a pretty strong track record myself of getting some dubs in some fantasy football leagues. Um, we were we were doing some math the other night. We were trying to figure out exactly what it was because, you know, ESPN doesn't let you to see your history um, of wins and losses and stuff like that in fantasy leagues, which is kind of annoying. Fix that at ESPN if you're listening. Um, but I th- we determined that it's around 12 wins in seven years for me. So we both started doing fantasy football our freshman year of college, which was seven years ago. Not to date ourselves or anything. But uh, but yeah, so I usually do about four leagues per year, I would say. Um, and I've been doing that for a little bit now. So, you know, I, I've got some experience. I kind of know what I'm talking about. I don't do four. <laughs> I don't do four leagues per year that's a little bit much for me to keep up with i'll be honest my attention span is not what it should be to do all that i usually do one or two um we've actually co-owned a team the last two years and won one of those years and i think came in like third or fourth we're we're not we're not going to talk about last season yeah it it, it just didn't go that great injury riddled you name it However, I, in the last like seven years, have never, like, I don't have nearly as many wins. I will say I don't really end in any sort of catastrophic failure. I've come in fifth or better each of those seven years. Mr. Consolation Bracket. That's me. I either win the Consolation Bracket or better. Occasionally, I treat you to a win. But we're going into our eighth season of fantasy football, looking for some, looking for some success. So you can, we'll keep you guys updated on how our teams are doing. And we're actually excited to be able to give you feedback on some of your teams through our social media. We're looking to potentially introduce a segment called Fix Your Franchise, or in this case, Fix Your Fantasy Team, where you can send us your fantasy roster and we can give you some advice for how to go about, you know, achieving a little more success. Right. And I will say it's taken a little while to get to this point. Uh, My first year of fantasy football, I know I was taken advantage of 
uh, as a relative noob of fantasy football, I was offered, <laughs> this is just so bad. I was offered a trade by, a, by an old friend of ours, John, John Moses. And this dude was like, I'll trade you Michael Vick. Yeah, this was that long ago that Michael Vick was still playing. This would have been the 2013-2014 season. Yeah. So I'm, I'll trade you Michael Vick and Lamar Miller. Because, yeah, if you remember Lamar Miller, like he was okay for like two seasons or something. Um, and I'll trade those two guys for Marshawn Lynch, who I had on my team. And at this point, that was the beast mode Marshawn Lynch, um, who was balling out. I wasn't really happy with my quarterback situation. So I was like, yeah, you know, I guess that makes sense. I'll, I'll accept this trade. I won't say this like the worst trade that's ever happened in fantasy football history, but it ended up being really, really bad. Uh, it did not go well for me. So that's definitely something to, to keep an eye out for is if you are relatively new to fantasy football, maybe your friends or random people will try to tempt you with trade offers. Do not, feel like you have to accept them, you know, stand your ground, decline if you need to, or if it's a ridiculous trade offer, what I like to do is just send an even more ridiculous trade offer just to be passive aggressive and just to be like, oh, so you want to, you want me to trade you Devonte Adams and you're going to give you, and you're going to give me like Matthew Stafford in return and maybe like Boston Scott as well or something because he had one good game. Like, no. You know, so maybe that's a little bit toxic, but hey, it's fantasy football. You got to do what you got to do. And you never know. The person might accept on accident. Just be wary. Don't do that yourself. Now, since you mentioned horrible one-sided trades, I remember our sophomore year of college. I got invited by my father to play fantasy football in a league for money with some of the people that he worked with. And that went horribly. Let me tell you why. I was doing all right. That's that's an understatement. I was doing pretty well. I was poised to make a championship run. Well, remember, all of these guys except me work together. So once a few guys started realizing, hey, I have no shot. I don't have a snowman's chance in hell of winning this fantasy league. Let's just dump all my players off to my buddy. So the timeline isn't right for this, but for the life of me, I can't remember the actual players. But they were accepting trades like, yeah, I'll give you Devontae Adams for Kadri Allison. Sure. You want Patrick Mahomes? How about you give me, shoot, Jared Goff, and we'll call it even. Like It was stuff like that. So by the time the championship rolled around, it was me versus the the beneficiary of all of this nonsense where every single position was like top three in the league, unless I happened to have like all three of the best guys somehow, which I think I had like the three best tight ends or something stupid. Needless to say, I lost. Don't fall into a toxic league, especially if you're playing for money. Be very selective about the gambling that you do here. Exactly. So that was kind of a an extra don't in our segment that's going to be coming up right after this, where
where we're going to give you some do's and some don'ts for your fantasy football draft and some strategy. And then we're going to go into uh, a player at each of the main positions, quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, uh, who we think will outperform their average draft position or ADP uh, this season that you should target in your drafts. So we'll get into all of that in just a second. We'll be right back. All right, so just to make sure that everyone here is in the best position possible to succeed in your respective fantasy leagues, we want to make sure that we're hitting you with the best advice, giving you some of our do's and don'ts that we've picked up over the years of doing fantasy football. So Dave, let's hear your do's. All right, so we're each going to have three do's and three don'ts. So my number one do is do mock draft. So maybe you're you're not super into fantasy football like I am, but I would recommend doing at least one mock draft because you never know exactly which position you're going to be drafting in and whatever position you end up in your mock draft, it'll really help you kind of figure out who's still available when you're picking, um, different trends that might happen. Maybe people take quarterbacks really early or um, some of your favorite players end up getting drafted a little bit later than you thought. And so you don't have to reach for them. Uh, all those types of things. I think it's really valuable information that you can find from your fantasy draft. So, or your mock draft, I should say all those things I think are really valuable pieces of information that you'll get from your mock draft. So I would definitely say that you should do at least one. I know I'll definitely be doing at least a couple before my first draft. My second do is do draft a mix of high floors and high ceilings. So what I mean by this is you're going to want some players on your team who are very reliable. They've been steady fantasy producers in the past few years. Maybe you've had them on your teams previously. I know both Mike and I have had certain guys that we target every year because they always seem to turn out well for us and they're never a, they're never a bust. They may not be amazing, but they get the job done. But you're also going to want to target guys who have a little bit higher ceiling, maybe that more of a boomer bust pick because those are going to be the guys who can win you your league. You need those consistent points from your high floor guys and obviously from your early round guys. But maybe there's a receiver, a rookie receiver maybe, that's not going quite as high that you think has a lot of potential. Maybe you go ahead and draft him later on. Or there's a guy who has been traded to a new team and all of a sudden he has a lot of opportunity. Maybe you draft him. So I would just make sure that you have a, a decent mix of both high floors and high ceilings. And then my third do is do focus on tight end early or leave it until late. So there are three tight ends who are by far and away the top guys in the league. I think both for fantasy and just for NFL purposes. Obviously, you've got Travis Kelsey, you've got George Kittle, and then Darren Waller as well. I would, if you can't get one of those three guys, then I would just wait until later because tight end is such a fickle position that you never really know what you're going to get. There aren't too many sure things. So if you can't get one of those top guys and you don't really have a good feeling about somebody like TJ Hawkinson or Kyle Pitts or something like that, then I'll just wait a little bit later. And both Mike and I will give you an option a little bit later on in the segment of guys who you can target. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't rush it too much just because tight end can be, like I said, a really fickle position. And you can always just pick up guys off the waiver wire who were doing better than people thought. Uh, and you can mix and match with matchups and stuff like that as well. 
So those are my three dues for fantasy football, uh, specifically for drafting. I completely agree. The thing with tight end is you could draft someone as the sixth best tight end and be right to do so. Then he can get you three points, four points. You don't want to draft that early when you could have a receiver that would have been getting you 10 or 11 because it's just no point because the 15th best tight end will get you that same three or four on a relatively consistent basis. You know, it's pretty much a crapshoot. Then I love what you said about the high floor guys. I think it was like five years in a row that I made sure to draft Mark Ingram. I mean, he's not going to be, you know, one of those elite players, but he's a player I could 100% rely on to get me solid production, just plug him in, not have to worry about it. If there are players like that that you can think of that aren't going super, super high, but you know that, like, you know what to expect out of them, go for it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, what are your three dues for fantasy football drafting this year? My first do is something I've learned from a past mistake. I will say early on in my fantasy career, but still. Do pay attention to the bye weeks of your of the players that you're drafting, especially when it comes to drafting your backups. I'm thinking about like when you draft your tight end. You don't want to draft a backup tight end just to find out that he has the same bye week as your starter and have effectively a useless place on your team. Same applies to quarterbacks. And you don't want to have your receivers or running backs stacked on one bye week because then you'll just be SOL on that week. So pay attention to that. Also pay attention to what other players in your league are doing as far as their draft pattern. Don't get tunnel vision. What I mean by this is you can do your mocks, and I agree it's a Very good idea to go ahead and do some mocks. But let's say you go through your mock and you decide, okay, the ninth round, let's say, is a good spot for me to start looking at my quarterback. You know, obviously you're going to miss out on like top two or three, but that's beside the point. Well, if you see a, a surge of quarterbacks going in the fifth or sixth round, then you have to adapt. You Don't just sit on your laurels and say, well, I planned on ninth. It's going to be ninth. If you see that your guy is coming up, Go ahead and grab him. Just don't get too enamored with the game plan that you've drawn up. My last do goes in line with what you were saying about the those high floor and high ceiling guys. Use one of those last picks, probably like your third to last pick on a really high ceiling guy. By the time you get to the end of the draft, odds are you're not going to be planning on playing that player with any sort of regularity. The point of this uh, draft pick, maybe third to last, fourth to last, all all the way down there, is I'm going to take a guy that I think could really explode this year, whether that's a rookie or, like you said, a guy that just got traded. Maybe it's a backup that's going to be in a good position. Let's say, like, if the starting running back goes down, then you know this guy's the clear number two. Someone that could all of a sudden become elite. That's what those late picks are for. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's something that's kind of a a recurring theme is you want to target guys who have the opportunity to you know, have a big role in the offense. Whether that's due to their talent, whether that's due to the fact that somebody could get injured and if that person gets injured, this guy is going to be the guy to step up and have those opportunities and whether or not they can maximize them, you know, it's kind of 
it's risky. But like you said, at that point of the draft, what do you have to lose? You don't want to draft a guy like who you know m- might be starting, but isn't a high ceiling guy. Maybe he's like an older dude who is in his last year or two of, of his career. And he's been good for a while. Like I'm thinking about like Jason Witten at the end of his career. Like you don't want to draft a guy like him because he doesn't have any upside at that point. You know, he's just going to be there. He might get you a touchdown here or there. He'll probably get a couple catches a game, but he's not going to do anything for you. You want to target it, you know, probably like a young guy or a guy who all of a sudden has that opportunity to play. And then once you have him, maybe he, maybe you hit on him and all of a sudden he makes it into your starting lineup. And then you have a lot more depth in your lineup and you can play matchups and stuff like that. Completely agree. I'm thinking back when the Steelers had Le'Veon Bell, but when Le'Veon Bell wasn't going to play any running back that was running behind that line, whether it was D'Angelo Williams or James Conner, like someone was going to succeed there. Yeah, even Benny Snell had a couple of good good games. Yeah, and no one was going to draft Benny Snell. Like These are the kind of players that we're talking about. But with all that being said, we're going to go ahead and move on to some of the things that you definitely shouldn't do. So let's hear your don'ts. All right. My number one don't. This is very dear to my heart. Do not just name your team, team, whatever your last name is. That is the most boring thing that you can do. And whenever whenever I'm in a league with a bunch of random people, I swear like half the team names are just team whatever, like Team Johnson or whatever they're not their last name is. I'm like, dude, it's not that hard to just come up with a funny team name. You know, maybe at least it's not for me. Um, <laughs> um, it's great to be me. No, um, but one of my favorite things to do for fantasy football every year is to come up with a funny team name, and I always do it with a guy who I have on my team. So I'll draft my team, and then the first thing that I do is I'll go to my roster and be like, "All right, what kind of pun can I make out of one of these guys' names?" Some some guys, some ones that I've had in the past. Stefan digs your grave. That was a little bit more of a toxic one, but hey. Um, last year I did rich homie Saquon. Uh, my my personal favorite that I've ever done. Not that Kyle Rudolph was ever that amazing, but Rudolph the Red Zone Reindeer was definitely one of my favorites that I ever did. Um, So yeah, so just definitely have some fun with it. Just don't be that guy. My second don't is don't rely on the draft rankings to decide your pick for you. So for anybody who hasn't done a draft before, you've got a minute and a half to make your pick before it just auto-picks somebody for you, whoever's at the top spot. Definitely don't just say, well, this guy is up here. I feel like he's fallen a bit. Let me just grab him. Rely on your own judgment. You know, make sure you're prepared. If you're playing fantasy football, hopefully that means that you're, you know, you, you know something about football. And it, even if you don't, that can be a great way to get into it. I will say that. But just kind of follow your inst- follow your instincts. Don't just go with the highest player available every time. Because um, if you do that, then it's just less personal. And also you could end up, stacking way too much on one particular position as well. Uh, So definitely keep an eye on your team, what you still need for your team, and then just kind of cross-reference that with who would be valuable at your selection that you have. And then the third don't 
and this is something I'm also very passionate about, is don't be that person who doesn't show up for the draft and just sits on auto pick for the entire time. That just eliminates all of the fun because everybody knows exactly who you're going to be drafting, which is the guy who's sitting at the top of the board. It just takes all the fun out of it. Plus, you have to just sit there and wait for the time to click to just tick all the way down and then eventually get hit zero. And then that person's not even participating. It's just super frustrating. So definitely don't be that guy. If you sign up for a draft, actually stick around and draft because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. And not only that, it seems more often than not, the players that just fall back to auto pick half the time don't even participate in the league anyway. It's like if if you're going to sign up for a league, draft, and then play the league. I also love having fun with the team name. I'm glad you mentioned that. I mentioned my championship team from last year, Red Solo Cup. Kittles and Bits. Uh, mixing and matching. Like, have fun with it. It's a game. Another one I forgot to mention... Dalvin and the Chipmunks. I've had that one a couple times because Dalvin Cook's one of my favorite players. So, hey, you know. And to be fair, it usually did um, did end up being Dalvin being the star and everybody else was kind of a chipmunk. So, And there's the ever-popular Run CMC. The list goes on and on of things that you can do. And we'll make sure to share our team names with you guys once we end up drafting and having our teams in place i mean if you're interested we'll definitely share it on, on social media but i don't know i'm i'm a big dad joke guy i'm a big pun guy so you know this is kind of where i like to shine we love a good pun here hey if you're fundamentally challenged then send us your team roster and we'll give you a name Forget, yeah, forget fix your franchise or <laughs> fix, fix your, your fantasy name. team. Fix your fantasy team name. Like, come on. Um, I'll actually really enjoy that. Please send me your teams. Maybe we can get Dan Snyder to, to hit us up. We can just fix Washington's football team name. Anyway, let me get into oh some my of my gosh. Points. The Washington football team. <laughs> At least there's no ambiguity. Like, it's not one of those things where, like, Wait, uh, what's what's the name of that football team in Washington again? Oh, you just said it. Oh, oh yeah. okay. That's it. <laughs> so my number one tell is don't worry about drafting a quarterback super early. Now, I kind of mentioned this earlier. The true value that you're going to get comes from your running backs and your receivers, more so than your other positions in terms of the premium that you're going to get from your high performers. What I mean by that is, Okay, you don't get Patrick Mahomes. You get the 14th best quarterback. That that quarterback can still go off for 30 on any given week. If you miss out on a top 10 running back and your best running back is the 24th best running back, you're not going to do that well. I, I just promise you're not. It's not like real football where your star quarterback can carry you. Monitor where those quarterbacks are going, like I was saying earlier. But... Use your early picks on those flex positions, primarily your running backs, your receivers. And as you do mock drafts, like you were talking about earlier, you're going to see that trend where the first three or four rounds are running backs, receivers, and the big three tight ends. 
And then that one guy that picks Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Uh-huh. And then that one guy who picks Tom Brady. Yep, he's there. And as much as I love Brady, it is not me before you start coming at me with that. I love Brady, but I got some sense. Number two. Don't worry too much about your defense and kicker. There's going to be a couple really good defenses and a couple kickers that separate themselves. Don't worry about it. You can play the matchup game. You can swap out in free agency. As long as there's not a, a limit in your in your league settings that would stop you from picking up over and over again, then you can make your kicker and defense interchangeable on a week-to-week basis. For example, freshman year, if if it was available, I pretty much just picked whatever uh, defense was playing the Jags that year because that's the year the Jags were absolute garbage, which doesn't really narrow it down. Yeah, <laughs> but, I was about to say, so basically every year. Except for that one year where they had that really good defense. But yeah. And Blake Bortles randomly in the AFC Championship game. But... Pick on the weaklings. Look at the matchups for your defense. And, you know, it ranks it for you, like, based on what uh, offenses let in a lot of points to defenses. Just play it that way. And my last don't. Don't just draft players you like. Don't be the homer. I promise, just because he's a Falcon doesn't mean he's elite. I mean, that's definitely true. (laughs) Just because he went to the school you like doesn't mean he's going to be elite. Just because he went to your rival high school or something or he has a good story, whatever it is, that's not the same as being a productive member of your fantasy football team. AKA, do not draft Tim Tebow. Please. Tim Tebow's a great guy, but like, come on, man. You know someone's going to do it, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Number one overall. Hey, if you're feeling led to use your third to last pick on a flyer, what's the worst that could happen? It's true. Fantasy advice. You gotta love it. Don't draft Tim Tebow. Okay, maybe draft Tim Tebow. <laughs> I can be guilty at times of drafting my favorite players, specifically Dalvin Cook, but Dalvin Cook's also a beast. So like, that's not a bad pick. Um, It's just more like, don't draft that fourth receiver on your team because he occasionally makes a good catch and you're like, they should give him more targets. (laughs) Like, no, we got to be realistic here. If you don't like a guy and you don't draft him, then I definitely respect that. There are definitely some guys out there who I don't really like who play in the NFL, and so I don't really draft them because I don't really want to have to cheer for them, you know? Because you will find yourself cheering for your fantasy players on Sundays. Also, here's another don't. Don't be that guy who's like cheering for Michael Thomas on the Saints if you're a Falcons fan. like The week that the pers- Saints are playing the Falcons. Yeah, exactly. First of all, just don't draft a Saints player if you're a Falcons fan, because, like, come on. I mean, but like, you're talking to a guy that loves Mark Ingram. I mean, I know he's not a Saint anymore, but you know what I mean. 
I was definitely drafting some Mark Ingram. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, you can, but like, I will say it does kind of give you that weird loyalty shifting thing. Um, I, I do remember at one point, I think it was last year because the Falcons were obviously so bad. I had a Julio on one of my teams and I remember he scored a touchdown and I was way more excited about him scoring it for my fantasy team than I was for him scoring for the Falcons. Cause like the Falcons were trash, so it didn't matter. So yeah, either way. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with all three of those. So now we're going to go into some players who we think will outperform their ADP or average draft position. So we're using ESPN's rankings for these, um, but we're each going to choose a quarterback, a running back, a receiver, and a tight end who thinks can outperform where they're getting drafted. So Mike, who are you choosing as your quarterback? If you like a player and that player is a baller, by all means, we're just saying don't let that make you think the player is going to do better than he actually realistically will. Anyway, with all that being said, the quarterback that I think will outperform his ADP is Matt Ryan. And the reason I think that is he's being like his ADP is around 16, 17. What did the Falcons do? Trail going into the fourth quarter. So Matt Ryan always has these empty calorie stats, if you will, where you look at his stats at the end of the season and go, wow, he actually threw for a lot of yards. Yeah, it's because he has to, because he's losing the entire time. And so I just don't see him being 16th, 17th best in fantasy, knowing that he's going to have to throw us back into virtually every game, given that our top running back is Mike Davis, which maybe he has a good year, but he's not... I don't look at him as one of those like game-changing, like bell horse kind of running backs. So I expect Matt Ryan to throw a lot. I I do still think he's capable of finding targets. I think he's capable of throwing plenty of touchdowns. We have a new coach in Arthur Smith who helped Ryan Tannehill with his efficiency and you know diminish his turnovers. So maybe that will hold true with Matt Ryan. I just see Matt Ryan going close to like, nine ten when the season's over yeah i can definitely see that also i liked your term bell horse like bell cow and workhorse <laughs> just combining the two maybe that'll catch on you never know um but yeah matt ryan you said it best empty calories that's been most of what his career has been to be honest with you um yeah i know i'm a falcons fan i am somewhat of a matt ryan hater but to be fair, he's not the problem of the Falcons. He's just not the solution either. Um, and he's just paid way too much. Anyways, I'm not going to go on a rant about Matt Ryan. I'm going to tell you about my quarterback who's going to outperform his ADP. And that's not other than Tua Tagovailoa of the Dolphins. So Tua's also going around that 16-17 range uh, right now as far as quarterbacks go. And he played about half of the games last year. Um, Fitzpatrick ended up getting benched for him and he played fairly well. He just needed to be a little more aggressive. And I think with all the weapons he has now, he's got Devonte Parker and Mike Gesicki from last year, but now he also has Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle. 
So now he's got a cup, you know, he's got four pretty decent targets and a team that's also on the rise in the Dolphins who are going to be definitely in a lot of games. So I'm expecting some big things coming out of Tua. Do I think he's going to be a top five quarterback? Probably not. But I think he'll be closer to that top 10 than he is right now. Um, and he definitely has some of that upside. I mean, we saw how good he was at Alabama. And now he's had his rookie year. He's wiser. He's older. He's more experienced in the offense. And I think he has the capability to have a top 10 season as a quarterback in the league this year. Fantasy-wise, especially. Yeah, keep in mind that with these numbers, this is in terms of their fantasy output, not necessarily their like how much they're contributing to winning. Yeah. But yeah, I can definitely see Tua having a, a good year this year, given those extra weapons. One of his weapons, actually, is who I'm going to talk about as a sleeper running back. And that's Miles Gaskin, who's being projected early to mid-20s. Miles Gaskin had a good year last year, a little bit of a slow start, but once he got going, he was very productive, especially as a receiving back, which would you know help with Tua. But I'm looking at him coming into this year, like following that hot start that he had last year with, an, with impro- hopefully improved quarterback play from Tua with the extra weapons around him. Not to mention a great coach in Brian Flores. We've talked about him before. We'll mention him again. That is a great coach. I just see Gaskin taking another big step this year to follow off of what he did last year. Yeah, and Gaskin's one of those guys who proves that it can be an undrafted or a late-round pick who ends up coming good for whatever team. He was a seventh-round pick in 2019, and it's kind of came out of nowhere to lead that running back room for the Dolphins last year. And he was really good, especially as a receiver. And they only added Malcolm Brown as competition. So he's pretty much got a stranglehold on that lead running back position. And yeah, I think I actually had Miles Gaskin as on one of my teams last year. And he was really good, really consistent. So I really like that pick. I'm going to go with another guy who is a second year player just like Tua, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, the Chiefs have arguably the best offense in the league, led by Patrick Mahomes, of course, with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. And they drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the first round to be that running back, the final piece to the puzzle. And honestly, he just kind of got unlucky. He somehow only managed to score five touchdowns and that's combined receiving and rushing. He had 181 carries and 36 receptions and only managed to score five touchdowns. That's got to increase this year. There's no way that if he has a similar volume that he's going to produce the same amount of touchdowns. It's got to be higher. So just that alone will probably shoot him up a little more. And once again, he's going to be able to potentially have that second year bump, uh, after being in the league for for a season, uh, working with the offense a little bit more. And yeah, I think he's another one of those guys who can exceed his ADP right now. He's about the 13th highest running back selected. I think it's very possible for him to have a top 10 uh, season. 
and be one of those running back ones for you that you could potentially get as a steal um, later in, in the draft. I agree for sure. Thing is, when you face the Chiefs, whose focus is going to be on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? You're focusing on Patrick Mahomes. Not to mention the Chiefs went ahead and addressed their offensive line in the offseason. We saw the addition of Orlando Brown there. That was a great pickup, especially seeing what happened to them in the Super Bowl. That was tragic. Yeah, but, well, tragic's not the word for me because I was happy to see it. But for the Chiefs, yes, it was very tragic. But, yeah, I I think that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, it's definitely in the cards for him to have a, a breakout second year. For my receiver, I've chosen a rookie, one that we've mentioned before on this podcast, reigning Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith for the Philadelphia Eagles. First of all, who else is going to catch footballs on that team? You got Jalen Rager, then you got Zach Ertz, who's 33 and has been hurt. Speaking of hurt, you got your quarterback. Jalen Hurts, for the smoothest transition of all time. Yes. Why does why does that matter, Jalen Hurts? Because Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith actually played together in Alabama. So if the Eagles are giving Jalen Hurts a chance to show what he can do as the, the starter from week one, he's going to look to what, he's, what he deems to be a reliable target. Who better than a Heisman Trophy, a Heisman Trophy winning receiver that he's actually played with and built chemistry with in his past. I expect Devontae Smith to have a breakout rookie year. I expect him to prove some of those doubters wrong that were concerned about his size and show that his ball skills, his just pure ability is enough to lead him to success in the NFL. Absolutely. And again, it's not like the Eagles are going to be good. They're going to be throwing the ball a decent amount. And Jalen Hurts is going to target Devontae Smith. And if you've been listening since day one of this podcast, which if you have been, shout out to you. uh, On our very first episode, NFL Draft Recap, I actually mentioned Devontae Smith as one of my top three rookies to look for in terms of fantasy purposes for the 2021 season. Um, So if you want to, and if you don't remember exactly who we picked, then definitely go back and listen to that episode. Uh, I picked three rookies. Mike picked three rookies. So just a kind of an extra thing there. My receiver is Cortland Sutton uh, of the Denver Broncos. Now, Cortland Sutton is a guy who had a really, really great season in 2019. And all signs were pointing to him having another breakout season in 2020. Unfortunately, he tore his ACL after one week. I actually had him on one of my teams. It was very disappointing. But this is a guy who's very talented. Um, the quarterback situation in Denver isn't ideal. You've got Drew Locke, who's probably still going to be the starter. And you've got Teddy Bridgewater as well, who's got to be one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Um but Cortland Sun's a guy who doesn't necessarily need to have a great quarterback because he has that size. He can win those 50-50 balls. Uh, and he's a, a major red zone target as well. So 
I'm looking for him to have a bounce back season after that injury. He's still only 25. Uh, right now, he's the 30th receiver taken. I think he's going to be a wide receiver too. He's going to be in that top 20 by the time the season's over. Granted, as long as he doesn't get hurt and he plays week one, but all signs are pointing to him having recovered. Hopefully he'll play some in the preseason and get warmed up, but I'm expecting him by week one, week two to be fully operational. And uh, I'm excited to see what he can do this year. I like that pick. And because of that injury, he he will fly under the radar because there's not as much to base this year's projections projections off of. So I definitely expect him to fall. But like you said, for the reasons you listed, that would be a great player to target. Just to add a number to what I said, Devontae Smith is being projected around 42. So if you're looking to qualify that a little bit, yeah, I expect him to go higher than 42 for sure. Yeah, that is very low. Once again, the disrespect on Devontae Smith's name. Telling you, he's going to have to prove a lot of people wrong, but I believe that he can do it. That big old chip on his shoulder. (laughs) To be fair, he actually has a reason, though. If you don't mind... I would love for you to do your tight end first because I think yours is a lot more realistic than mine. Okay. I mean, we can switch up this order. We can be adaptable. Like you're going to be in your fantasy drafts. Okay. I'm, anyways. Um, all right. So for tight end, my guy, Irv Smith Jr. Out of Alabama. Uh, so this dude is on the Vikings who is my second favorite team in the NFL. I don't normally have second teams, but my dad grew up cheering for the Vikings, so it kind of just worked out that way. Plus, Dalvin Cook plays for them. So Anyway, you didn't ask for that explanation. Uh, so Irv Smith is a very talented guy, um, but he hasn't really had the opportunity in Minnesota, mostly because of Kyle Rudolph, of Rudolph the Red Zone Reindeer fame. Uh, but finally, Kyle Rudolph is is gone, and Irv Smith has the chance to be the number one tight end there. And in limited action, Irv Smith has actually produced pretty well. He was tight end four in fantasy in the final four weeks when Kyle Rudolph wasn't playing. So he's definitely got the opportunity to be better than the 14th tight end, which is where he's being drafted at right now. Um They do have a lot of weapons. Obviously, Dalvin Cook, as we mentioned. Adam Thielen has continued to be a reliable, or not even reliable, a star-wide receiver. And then my guy Justin Jefferson balled out last year like crazy. So there's definitely a lot of different players who could take away from his production. But he can still be that red zone threat, that middle of the field threat. And in a high-scoring offense like Minnesota's, I expect him to do better than 14th and be a top 10 tight end this year. When I was looking at tight ends for this, I was definitely looking at Irv Smith a little bit. I think he's got a ton of potential. I definitely love that pick. My pick is a guy that I have a bit of an interesting relationship with in terms of fantasy, and that's Jared Cook. The funny thing about Jared Cook with me with fantasy is unlike pretty much any other player in the NFL, I'm weirdly blessed when it comes to Jared Cook. For the past like five years, it seems, if I play Jared Cook, 
he does well. And if I don't, he does not. I'm expecting a more consistent, good performance this season from Jared Cook. It's going to be on the Chargers. I don't know if you were paying attention to what Justin Herbert was up to last season, but he balled out very much unexpectedly. Max Kellerman said it best, so I'm going to echo what he's said before, and that's if Trevor Lawrence lives up to the hype, and his rookie year is everything we want and expect it to be, it'll look just like Justin Herbert's rookie year just did. That's how good Justin Herbert's rookie year was. And there's nothing about him to me that suggests he'll take a step back, that it was a fluke. I expect him to do even better this year, to really step into that. And Jared Cook, you know, in the absence of Hunter Henry, who's moved on to New England, Jared Cook can very well be that number one tight end even though he is like 33, 34 years old. He's reliable. He does have decent big playability for a tight end. And in that Chargers offense, I see Jared Cook as being an extremely good piece for, for a young quarterback. Look for Jared Cook to get plenty of red zone opportunities and plenty of opportunities in the middle of the field. I don't think you can go wrong with Jared Cook. And... We talked about like waiting on tight end if you don't get one of those top three. Jared Cook is projected around 25th for tight ends. I don't think you'll have a problem getting Jared Cook on your team if you wait like several rounds for him. And if you do, I think you'll be rewarded for it. If you're Mike, then you'll definitely be rewarded for it. <laughs> I think I tried one time to use Jared Cook, and I'm pretty sure he didn't have a catch in the game. So I will say, I definitely agree that he has some opportunity, but it is a little bit risky if you're not Mike. I will say that. Um, But yeah, I, I, he can be a red zone threat. He is a very athletic guy. And um, you could say that if Justin Herbert's looking for a guy to target in the red zone. <laughs> I see Mike's face right now. He just knows. Are you about to say he'll get cooking? No, that he went to Jared. And he went to Jared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are going to go for that ring, so. Oh my. Okay. Well, I think that wraps up this segment. <laughs> um, when we come back, we're going to bring back a segment that's kind of gone missing for a little while. But Mike's going to do another one of his rants on That's Disrespectful. Mike, who's getting disrespected this week? Kevin Durant has been a bit disrespectful in my mind. So, first of all, Congratulations, U.S. men's basketball team winning gold in Olympic play, both men and women. Shout out both there. And I don't want to seem like I'm diminishing that. So let's get that straight. I am glad they won. It's a good accomplishment. Now, if you're paying attention at all, they were dropping some games. 
which is a bit unusual for U.S. basketball. They lost back-to-back exhibition games against Nigeria and then Australia. They lost the game to France. But they were able to bounce back, win the championship game against France in that uh, in that rematch, take home the gold. Now, these losses were causing analysts, and the main one at play here is Kendrick Perkins, to say, like, you know, we just don't know for sure that U.S. is going to win this year. And then there were questions like, has the world caught up? Well, waiting till after they win, Draymond and Kevin Durant come in and talk their shit. And they're like, um, first of all, it was disrespectful of y'all to doubt us. And you should act like an American and all this and root for us. But the part I really want to get to is Kevin Durant responding to this idea of the world having caught up, saying the skill is unmatched. That's disrespectful. Here's why. First of all, you only won by five in the championship game. To a team, there is not a team in international play with more than like five guys in the NBA. And the thing about basketball is everyone in the world that can play in the NBA is in the NBA. Just on paper alone, your team should be smoking these teams. I understand there are more factors to it, right? The different rules, uh, chemistry and everything. Most of these teams have been playing together longer. If the skill level is really unmatched, you should be cooking teams like the Dream Team did in 92, like the Redeem Team did in 08. That's just not what was happening. There were plenty of people saying, yeah, well, the U.S. didn't send out like our A team, right? We didn't send out the very best that we could have if we had. There really wouldn't have been competition. Well, not all of the best players from other countries played. Giannis didn't play. Jokic didn't play. But that leads me to a bigger point that I know Kevin Durant doesn't want to hear. Odds are he won't. But Durant, you're just not LeBron. I'm not a big LeBron fan. And Kevin Durant's a better scorer of the basketball than LeBron has ever been or ever will be. If you trade If you take out KD from this roster and add LeBron, I think they're smoking teams. I think they're blowing teams out of the water because LeBron just has that big an impact on the game, on the players around him. Durant is just not the same kind of leader, whether that's in terms of rallying the troops, whether it's in terms of influencing success on the court. Durant just doesn't have it like LeBron does. So I don't think it's about, well, Curry didn't play, Clay Thompson didn't play, so on and so forth. I think it's just that it was supposed to be Durant being the best player on the team instead of LeBron. And this is what happens. And that leads me to one other thing. The skill is unmatched. Durant, you weren't the best player in the world. The best player in Olympic play was Luka Doncic, a Slovenian. The skill is catching up. The world is catching up. When we look at these other countries, no individual country has caught up to the United States because the United States prioritizes basketball as a sport more than any other country in the world. The majority of individuals that can become professional athletes in other countries 
typically turn to soccer. So the best French athletes and the best German athletes and Spanish athletes are not playing basketball. Typically, they're playing soccer. However, if you look at it like how they do in All-Star Weekend where they have the young like rookies and sophomores of Team USA versus Team World during NBA All-Star Weekend, if you did that kind of thing for the Olympics, Team World versus Team USA, Team USA would have been smoked out this year. No question in my mind. The way Doncic was playing, the way France played as a unit, I don't think there's any question. The world as a whole, if we want to look at it that way, has caught up. And the skill is not unmatched. Where the skill is unmatched, just to give a a brief shout, is in women's basketball. You really can't say enough about what Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird have done. They just won gold again. And I say again like that, these are the first players in history to win five Olympic gold medals for basketball. That's men or women. These two have been phenomenal for Team USA for like for a long time. 20 years. Yeah, they've won seven straight championships. And we can talk about the other players that were on that team this year, like Asia Wilson, Brittany Griner, so on and so forth. But I want to talk about Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi specifically because of their leadership. That's what makes their team so successful. And that's what I see lacking in Kevin Durant. I'm I'm sorry. It's something I've noticed in his career in the NBA, and now it's something I'm noticing overseas. Yeah, I I agree. I don't I don't think Durant is that leader. Again, to be fair, they did win, but I am somebody who always says you should be humble in defeat, and you should be humble when you win. I, I hate sore losers and I hate sore winners. Um, and there's just no reason to be like, oh, you're questioning us. You should just be like, yeah, you know, we do expect better because we are, we should be beating teams by a lot, but they gave us a good run and we need to, you know, shore up our own team, shore up our, our own strategy and, and, and make sure that we, we don't let them catch up because it's obvious that they are. If he said that, then I would have a lot of respect for that and be like, yes, you are the best. Of course you are. But also give respect to your opponents. I just, I don't, you know. That's what this is, segment is. That's disrespectful. That's just being disrespectful to everybody he's playing against. And can I say one more thing? I, I touched on this briefly. The fact that he waited till after they won the championship to come back and say, okay, we only won by five, but the skill level is unmatched. This isn't so much about him being respectful. I agree with what you said about being respectful to your opponent. This isn't so much about that as much as it is about sort of the competitive spirit. It's unfair for me to compare anyone to Kobe. RIP. But I've already done this to Devin Booker, and I think it's much more relevant to compare Durant to him in terms of like where he stands on the all-time list of players. If you had told Kobe, like if Kobe was playing for Team USA, if this were 2008, and you told him before the final game, hey, the world is catching up and we don't think you can win. Do you think for a second Kobe would have waited until after the finals, after they won, to say, nah, the skill's unmatched. Kobe would have shut that down immediately and walked into it and said, no, let me show you why right now. 
you can you can write this down, you can bookmark this, and it's going to be relevant later. It it almost seems disingenuous of Durant to feel like he needs to wait to make sure he's going to win and then say it's it's unmatched. It it feels like he's saying, "No, I'm worried about winning." Like internally, but then he wins and then he doesn't have to admit that. Well, this is the same guy who creates burner accounts on Twitter to vent his feelings and doesn't actually meet them head on or say the words that he's thinking publicly. You know, this is just the type of guy that he is. That concludes the segment of That's Disrespectful. When we come back, we're going to put a familiar face on the hot seat, so don't go anywhere. All right, and we are back for our newest edition of the hot seat, where you mentioned a familiar face. We've got Kelvin Benjamin. Now, if you're listening at home going, Kelvin Benjamin, that name sounds familiar. Dave, why don't you tell him why... Kelvin Benjamin sounds familiar. Either A, because you follow football, or B, because you follow the podcast and you remember him being one of the guys I mentioned in our when we talked about our top five sports moments of all time. Kelvin Benjamin went to Florida State, caught the game-winning touchdown uh, to win the championship in 2013. He was at pretty lofty heights at that point. It's hard to get a lot better than catching the game-winning touchdown with 12 seconds left in the national championship game. Uh, how far they fall. He ended up being drafted 28th overall that year. So that was 2014. He played like four seasons uh, consecutively. And fun fact, his rookie year was best, and his numbers for catches, yards, and touchdowns went down each year from his rookie year all the way down. At least he's consistent. He was trying to make it onto the Giants roster, not as a receiver, but as a tight end, because he's gained some weight. So they had him at minicamp. He was looking all right. But coaching staff asked him to lose some weight before training camp, or by the start of training camp. So that was back in June, then going into training camp last week of July. So at the end of minicamp in June, he weighed 265 pounds, and the Giants asked him to drop down to 251. Well, he showed up uh, to training camp, and he didn't weigh 265 anymore. In fact, he weighed 268 pounds. So he's like, oh, you want me to lose 14? How about I put on three more? Now, this is where the story gets interesting. He actually still passed the the uh, conditioning tests for tight ends. The requirements were you have to run uh, 20 50-yard dashes, and you have to be able to do it in uh, seven seconds or less. And he was able to do that. But then they still cut him. They were like, well, first they tried to pull him aside, and they are like, okay, we're going to fine you for not losing that weight. And he was like, yeah, okay. And then they didn't really say anything else to him. This is from his side of the story. Then, like, two days later, they cut him. And so now he's saying it's a hoax, and he's saying it's just part of the, all of the false narratives that go on in the NFL. He says that's why he walked away from football, you know, I guess blissfully ignoring the fact that he just wasn't playing well. Anyway, that's like saying – that's like if I came on the podcast and said, you know why I don't play in the NBA? Because all the media is, like, always scrutinizing them. <laughs> nah, dude. <laughs> You're not in the NBA because you're not that good at basketball. Uh, 
So he's going on all these conspiracy theories and everything. And then he said, okay, well, guess what? Because of all this, this has left a sour taste in my mouth. I'm just not going to pursue any more opportunities in the NFL. I'm done. That's it. But he wanted to give one little proverbial middle finger on the way out. And so he said of Joe Judge, he's, quote, not a coach that can ever win a Super Bowl because he just sits there and cusses all day. You can tell he's one side about everything. He's a know-it-all. And this, apparently, is the last that we'll see of Kelvin Benjamin in the NFL. I don't know. It just kind of, kind of seems like this dude's in denial. Like he still thinks this is 2013, you know? And if you're the Giants, it's probably in your best interest in not saying anything about it because it's not like Dave Gettleman is particularly good at addressing the media anyway. Probably just get up there and make the situation even worse. Dave Gettleman isn't good at addressing the media. He's not good at addressing team needs in the draft. <laughs> He's probably not good at addressing envelopes at this point. That concludes this segment of the hot seat. Um, man, I didn't... all right. So we're just gonna gonna go ahead and move forward. And when we come back, we're gonna have this episode's edition of Dave's Fun Fact. So stick around. And now the time has come for the final segment of this episode, Dave's Fun Fact. So Dave. What are we going to learn this week? So I did something pretty interesting uh, a couple weeks ago by the time you'd be listening to this. I went skydiving, which was my first time doing that. I would definitely recommend it if you haven't gone. Really, really fun. It's just something that I think people should do because it just makes you feel like it's just a kind of out of body experience, I guess. So I would definitely recommend it. Um so this fun fact is going to be about skydiving. Now, I jumped out of a plane from about 12,000 feet or so, I believe, which is still pretty high. Um, but if you're looking at the world record, it is nowhere near the world record for the for the longest or the highest skydive, I should say. So 2012, Felix Baumgartner, in partnership with Red Bull, broke the record. For the highest free fall, highest manned helium balloon flight, because when I tell you how high this was, you don't go up in an airplane, go up in a helium balloon, just keep going up and up and up and up, and then you eventually jump out. And the fastest free fall as well. Okay. So again, I jumped from about 12,000 feet. That was plenty high enough for me. He jumped from 128,100 feet. Are you shitting me? I am not. He reached 833.9 miles per hour, faster than the speed of sound, as this man is falling down. I think I was at about 120 miles per hour, which was crazy, but also, like, honestly didn't feel that, like, that crazy in the moment. 833.9 miles per hour. Absolutely ridiculous. Just completely wild what's interesting is that in 2014 that record was actually broken by a man named alan eustace he jumped from a height of 135,908 meters so a little over 7,000 more than that 
and he fell with what's called a drogue shoot. So it's not like the big parachute. It's just like a, a little one that comes out for four and a half minutes, just straight falling. And then eventually, you know, pulled the chute and everything. But yeah, just the fact that a human went faster than the speed of sound while just in free fall, absolutely ridiculous. Um, I don't think I'll be going for, to break the, that record. Um, I think 12,000 feet is plenty enough for me. But yeah, shout out to those guys because that is that is next level. You know, we're very similar in a lot of ways. But this is one of the biggest ways we're different. Even your 12,000 was, no, that was a, a big hell no for me. If you jump from 12,000 feet, that's about 11,998 feet higher than I want to fall from. You'd do a two-foot jump? It seems kind of high. For my back right now, oh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. it's kind of high. Let me, let me step down from like my front door to the pavement. If I can even handle that. <laughs> can I still have a parachute? <laughs> Just in case. Because you never know. But the speed of sound thing is absurd. Like, good lord. If we were doing a video right now, like I'm, I'm just like flabbergasted by that. Yeah, it's just because right, I, I remember seeing something about that when it happened, but I don't think I it really registered with me until because I, after I went skydiving, I was like, well, I want to do a fun fact about that. It never really registered that he went that fast and went that high. Also, I don't even I would be interested to know how long it took him. To actually ascend to that height. Because it took us tw- about 20-25 minutes to get up to 12,000 feet. This man was at 128,000 feet. And the other guy was at 135,900 feet. So I don't even know how long it took to get up there. It's just crazy. And just thinking about it the whole time. Like, well, I'm just going to be jumping out of this and falling for like five minutes. Let me do some math real quick. 135,000 feet is 25 and a half miles. That's about how far I drive to work and then back home round trip. 25 and a half miles. Yeah, that's yours was about two and a half miles. So it's basically a marathon then. Almost. Yeah. Yeah, a marathon's 26.2, so it's about three-quarters of a mile away from a marathon. In the air. I mean, I guess that's one way to run (laughs) run a marathon. If if you can just, like, pedal your legs as you're going, then, hey, I ran a marathon today. (laughs) It took me a couple minutes. That would be the only way I would ever... I'm going to take that back, because I would never jump out of something from that high. But... um, but yeah, so shout out to this Felix Baumgartner guy and Alan Eustace. That's pretty crazy. With that being said, we're actually going to wrap up this episode. If you're sort of like teetering on it, if you've never done a fantasy league before, I definitely recommend it. It's it's a lot of fun to do it. It you know it really helps you keep track of like what teams are doing well, what players are breaking out, uh, trades, roster movements, etc. I think it's just a great way to keep in track 
keep track of what's going on in the NFL as well as just like get involved with it, take a little um, personal interest in it. Yeah, for sure. And also, you know, you can start one with your friends, with your coworkers, and just kind of be another way to be connected in that way, especially if your friends are scattered around um, and you don't get to see them as much. That can be a, a cool way of connecting, you know, every week. And yeah, and you don't have to necessarily do it for money. Like Mike did that one league that was for money. I've never done one for money. I, I always say that maybe I should because I usually have success to some degree. But for me, it's just a, a fun way, like you said, of just kind of keeping up with the NFL. And also something that I really like about it is that any NFL game can be on. And especially since I have, you normally have like four leagues, chances are I'm going to have somebody playing in on one of those teams that are playing in the game. So that'll just get, kind of give me that extra reason to cheer for them and, and watch and pay attention. Be like, you know, I hope X player, I hope Allen Robinson gets targeted in the end zone, like and catches this pass. And I just get way more hype than I would normally for Allen Robinson getting a touchdown catch, you know? So I would definitely recommend it as well. It's really fun. And if you have any questions, then definitely reach out to us on social media as always at Mike and Dave pod. Um, and especially after you've drafted, send us your teams. I would love to come up with a name for you. Um, and if you don't use it, then, you know, I will take it personally, but still either way, definitely send us your teams. Um, we, you know, if we, if you do send that, then maybe we'll do a fix your franchise or fix your fantasy team episode later on the road this season. Um, but yeah, I would love to, to get your team, um, yeah, your, your rosters after the draft. So we can come up with a team name for you. After we eventually draft our teams, we'll show you who we ended up with so that you can keep track of how we're doing. We'll keep you posted on how that league is shaping up. Of course, we'll have a couple matchups against each other. So you can kind of take sides there. Will you be team Mike or team Dave? Hashtag team Dave. This is going to be the new team Edward versus team Jacob all over again. It's a lot more dramatic with much higher stakes, but we'd love to hear from you on, on social, whether it's about your team, about our team or anything else going on with the podcast. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, we're eight episodes in now getting close to that 10 mark. Um, definitely give us a review um, and make sure you're subscribed or following wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you're notified whenever we do upload a new podcast and that just about wraps things up for this episode as always this has been mike and this has been dave and you've been listening to the mike and dave podcast Alexander on the field.